0: So we're on, I don't even know what episode this is now. I haven't done one of these in like six months, uh, but I have been wanting to talk to both of you guys for quite a while. Pete, you and I have been back and forth about the idea of doing a podcast for a minute, so I'm glad we got it lined up. Lindsay, I'm super glad you're here as well. Can you let the, uh, the listeners know a little bit about who you are, your company, and some of your, kind of, um, your specialties?
1: Yeah, uh I'm Pete. I'm Lindsey. And we run, ferment, and operate Harvest Roots Ferments in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, We specialize in kombucha that tastes really good. And uh, we also um, make a line of eccentric and creative pickles and krauts and kimchis.
0: what 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 are your, like some of your uh, big sellers for your both in the kombucha line and in the kind of the food and pickle line
2: the pickle line i would say are we call them our solstice pickles and we call them that because here in bama our cucumber season gets started pretty early and we release our fermented cucumber pickles around the solstice every year it just happens to, to be when, I don't know, every year just seems to happen around that date. So we call them our solstice pickles and it's a naturally fermented pickle, just using salt, a saltwater brine and microbes. Um, I do not think we can make enough of those. Um, we, we also have been working with
1: that farm for, this is the fifth or sixth year Yeah, um, that we've been growing with that farm, a specific variety a specific length, a specific harvest window, and a specific weight each batch delivered to our space so that we don't have excess. So that's been a really special process. Um, For kombucha, I feel like um, the first flavor we ever released was one that Lindsay came up with, which is our elderberry and lemongrass kombucha. Um, And that one's uh, definitely always a best seller. And then recently, very recently we released this kombucha called star stuff and it's a dry hot kombucha so it's our really delicate like really floral kombucha which um for harvest Roots kombucha for your viewers um we don't make an acidic uh, a vinegary kind of kombucha we have a balanced acid profile that engages um you know a lactic quality a citric quality um a really delicate tea flavor and um it, the acetic acid is important in the fermentation process to digest ethanol. Um, but with the amount of sugar that we start with, there isn't much alcohol production to digest in the first place. So over the years, excuse me, I'm drinking kombucha as we speak. <clears throat> well,
2: And you were saying to that we star stuff is a dry hopped, kombucha so it's oh just yeah our, i got carried away it's just our base
1: tea with a uh, galaxy yeah so we dry hop with galaxy hops um citra and mosaic so the i wanted to hype on the train you know or hop <laughs> on the hype train that is yeah.
0: yeah i mean i think uh all those hops are gonna be have like a, a sexy name for marketing purposes but also provide really good flavor i know you guys wouldn't just throw any old hops into your stuff so
1: yeah
0: just mm-hmm. for the hype
1: I'm ready for the age hop, so, man.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think, um, I know there's been some experiments. I think people like Benedict are doing experiments with cider using an aged hop tea that the Brett will um, basically, the, the word biotransform, I know, will get in trouble for using that because it's not probably accurate and, or, it's, or it's too widely accurate. It's a broad umbrella term, but the point is that the Britannomyces reaction with the beta acids, I believe in aged hops, give it that like signature funk you get in like goose, not the lactic part of it, but the more bread forward. So it'd be cool for you guys to try to do like a, a, like a aged hop kombucha.
1: Yeah, we're ready to blow up borders. I mean, I think that like, <laughs> I think that um, beverage is an interesting place. We both think it, uh, it's an interesting place because I think there's good beverage and then there's just stuff that isn't delicious. And I think if it's delicious, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I think that that's sort of where we need to come at kombucha with that kind of idea because it's a product that has a lot of lore. It has a lot of um, misconceptions. Also, it's a really good lesson not to drink kombucha during a podcast (laughs) interview because I'm just like burping the whole time.
2: Maybe Uh, because you drink 12 ounces like 24 ounces really fast I did that is true will will
0: it make you feel better if we start drinking beverages so we might be burping too yeah yeah, (laughs)
2: let's do it
0: um Tamara by the way this is the first time Tamara's been on the podcast I think yeah on Aiden's no I don't think I
3: was here yeah so first see
0: Pete is shaking his head because he knows he listens to the podcast so I think this is your first friends everybody this is my wife Tamara hi y'all and um, I'm making her a, a beer mosa with our local Pilsner Trumer pills. And I'm putting it into a glass I bought her for birthday or Christmas.
3: That one's Terence, but I'll drink after no, that. out of
0: No, I didn't assign any oh. specific glass. I got her and her twin sister a set of glasses, and we. Which one is, no one glass was assigned to the other, but there's a female stripper and a male stripper glass. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, so we'll do that. And then I'm drinking a hen house frozen envelope IPA. It's part cool. of their conspiracy theory uh, line of IPAs. So, oh, that's Hopefully nice. This will give us some burps and you won't feel so
1: yeah. self <laughs> That was, I guess that I'd, I, um, I was getting on a soapbox about <laughs> stuff, but
0: about good about good kombucha and misconceptions.
1: I mean, to be honest, yeah. I mean, I you know even with the homies in in you know I I got integrated with the beer community because I'm passionate about making uh, homebrewing at home, uh, but also because of the sort of knowledge and microbiology in microbiology as well as equipment and infrastructure that I could bring to the table with um, damn that looks good I that know. beer it's <laughs> yeah, like
3: wow. we need to drink out of these glasses with the
1: this is that's just so you know, so hazy IPA right that's so good <laughs> um
0: uh, so yeah you bring in a different set of knowledge to the the yeah. mixed culture community
1: well I was I was suggesting that I was actually I don't know. Did you say bringing knowledge?
0: I think you are. You're not just stealing it.
1: <laughs> okay. I believe in like, you know, yeah, sure. The health of the soil. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, I felt very fortunate that, um, you know, I'm one of like maybe two or three kombucha brewers and milk the forklift. That's a that's a privilege in itself. But anyways, yeah, that was like a really cool positive thing for our company you know and um
2: it's interesting because i we were teaching a a workshop a couple of months ago and i realized in talking i was to our students i was like oh like you know kombucha is a really old practice you know just like alcohol but it's such a new industry like we only recently started commercializing it like you know what is it? GT's just celebrated his 50, 25th. T- was it 25?
1: It's not 50.
2: It's not 50, but no. I thought it was like <laughs> 15. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was like
1: is, 20 or
0: 25. What'd yeah. you say? I was saying. Point is, it's a low. It's it's,
3: it's
2: not know,
0: multiple hundreds of years of commercialized production like beer. Exactly. I had never
3: heard of kombucha until I went to culinary school, and it wasn't even from a teacher. It's from the woman who ran our like li- um, like student services. And she also t- taught for yoga on campus so she actually gave me some of kombucha that she made at home did you like it i loved it yeah that's cool
0: cool
2: the first time i tried kombucha i was like what the fuck is this this is <laughs> disgusting and then i was like at whole foods again a couple of weeks later and i was like oh i sort of want to buy it again like why
0: <laughs> yeah that's often many people's introduction to sour beer my my own included i remember the first time I had a goose, it was a Dre Fontaine gold blend and it was disgusting in my, at the time <laughs> in my book. I was mm-hmm. like, why does, it, I, I, and my best friend Bobby who works at Lagunitas will never let me live it down because he, he gave it to me. And he was saying it was like, you know, had oak and minerality and all this stuff. And I was like, it tastes like Parmesan and feet. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, <was> like...
1: <laughs> yeah I had, um I, I embarrassed myself by, one time by saying I don't know actually I sort of uh I it's like half true half false of a feeling for me now but uh the first time I had Blackberry Farm Saison um I just like didn't get it you know like and uh I was telling them my my Cicerone friend or whatever I was like I'd rather have a Bell's Two-Hearted than this Blackberry Farm Saison but it's like yeah, yeah but you know what Bell's
0: Two-Hearted is delicious so exactly
1: whatever. I wasn't that far off. You know, I'm like very loyal to SNPA, like very, very loyal. So I think for us, like, you know, I think that kombucha is just like a really interesting, we call it a mixed culture soda, a non-alcoholic mixed culture soda. It's like super engaging to us. And it's taken us a bit to get our culture and to get our um, our, our knowledge in a place where we can really feel like more open to exploring in kombucha and, um, to, to sort of free ourselves of like the chains of precedent, you know, so to speak.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, of course there are, um, traditions and there's all these things that there's, there's like little nuggets of wisdom based on decades or, centuries of practice. But as we are learning more, there's things that can be thrown away as well. So it's 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 making sure to like, not be stifled creatively by
1: uh, dogma. Yeah. I think Noma benefited everything like greatly yeah. in that reason, you know, it's like, yeah, great. Like we're feeling very validated, like Noma, you know, the best restaurant in the world is making kombucha and in the way that we've been trying to uh illustrate or talk about it not that we're making kombucha like noma but like that this idea of what kombucha can be they helped us in a in the dialogue like it's a it's a interesting beverage
2: yeah and i'm curious to see the the future of kombucha (laughs) because right now there are a lot of different brewing techniques a lot of different carbonation techniques, a lot of different flavoring techniques, and right now it's just all umbrellaed as one type of product, but I am curious just after, you know, I only know a little bit about the beer, the beer world, but like will kombucha become diversified and will there be names for different styles of the fermentations or or not, you know, but, you know, there are people that are doing long fermentations, there are people that are doing incredibly short fermentations with like blending with a lot of acid and there's just there's a lot of different styles happening and I think the industry of kombucha wants to sort of label it as one thing and define it as one thing but I'm just curious if that'll actually happen and instead maybe it'll just be we'll develop language around different styles and techniques.
0: Yeah I think um, we're so far along in our uh society capitalist society that we want everything to fit in a pre-existing box and if given the opportunity i could see kombucha having a regionality like beer has or like wine has um based on different areas and how their local practices are whether they're based on water whether they're based on available teas but now that the fact that with like tea everything is available to everyone all the time. So that's why I want to get into kind of what you guys, the biggest reason why I've always um, admired what you guys do is your super love of like locality. And I find that you guys are proudly Southern in the sense that you want to express that like, just like kombucha, which despite being a, a mixed culture fermentation Um, it has become a monoculture as far as branding of, of kombucha. You guys take like the South and have shown me personally, like as a guy from California who has been dismissive in the past of, of like regionality and of like the, the crazy amount of food and culture coming out of what is just broadly called the South. And seeing what you guys do whether it's through foraging or your how you use your ingredients has really helped show me that there's like a lot of really cool stuff happening down there so um that's a big reason why I've been wanting to talk to you guys and I know that your uh take on ingredients has um has picked up some fans you know you talked about Noma um if we're on the subject of like well-known chefs and restaurants, Sean Brock has been a supporter of your guys. I believe I've seen you. Um, and he's from what? what's his restaurant? The uh, Husk? Husk.
3: Right?
0: Yeah. So yeah. Is he he's using some of your guys's pickles or has in the past.
2: He has in the past. Yeah. So he's actually, um, He has, I believe he's sold Husk. He might still be on as like an advisor, but he's sort of launched uh, an entirely new restaurant group and he's opening, I believe three or four, I know of three restaurants and potentially four uh, in Nashville. And so he's sort of on this new chapter and he actually hired um, uh, Jason White, who was working in Noma's fermentation lab, he brought Jason White on as like head of R&D for his new restaurant group. Um, and so in the past, he has used our, our krauts and that was a really exciting moment for us. Right now, we don't have any projects in the works with him, but I hope that maybe after the virus has settled down and the restaurant community has recovered, maybe we'll be able to, to continue that relationship.
1: I think um, Sean taught us. Um, he showed us that we could believe um, in ourselves and what we make, and um, he spoke very highly of our products. And that showed me that um, what I'm try- what I'm trying to say is Sean's support showed us that we should we should make our ferments into food in our tap room so we we developed a small plates menu for our tap room and it really illustrated to us like we're not a company that needs to make pickles or kraut and sell it across the east coast and um and not there's any there's nothing wrong with that that's fantastic that's a great job um and we've done it not east coast but like southern like we've done wide distribution kraut kimchi stuff but it's it's a very challenging job, and it's not where our hearts are. And speaking of the Bay Area, um, we're, we've always looked up to Culture Pickle Shop in Berkeley. And um, they're definitely uh, uh, such a mature business, but also really just inspired like an entire generation. Um, and their pickling is a beautiful reflection of California and they're very talented people um so that's
3: yeah
1: that's more along the lines of where we want to take pickling and when we say pickling we we say pickling is uh, a broad stroke of you know a, a pickle in our common language is like a cucumber pickle which is great but that's a cucumber pickle so when we say pickling we're like pickling cabbage or pickling green tomatoes or pickling um, eggplant or pickling whatnot whatever so
0: yeah and um yeah so i've never been there yeah tam tamra's pointing out we haven't been to culture which you've been yelling at me for a year (laughs) plus to go
3: when this all settles we'll go yeah
2: yeah yeah i mean they're 20 years in to their practice, which is
1: incredible. So we've had more culture pickle shop pickles than you all have. <laughs> yeah, we, have friends landmark, who, yeah. we have friends who fly them back out here, and it's, <laughs> it's just really delicious. I mean, they have a, we just finished a green tomato kimchi that they make. Um, they make this like, they make really incredible like Japanese style pickles outside of that as well. So like really traditional techniques.
0: Can you speak a little bit about uh, using heirloom varieties and because you know, I am very kind of interested in like um, using local ingredients, but not but beyond local, just not just what grows local, but what is what is indigenous or is local. And uh, you, because I know Pete, you've done some stuff with fermentation beyond what you do uh, with harvesters, but also in your home brewing and your and and some of the other projects where you've incorporated. Um, I know you guys both have a lot of experience with foraging. Um, that that is something that I think is missing, or I think is maybe the next step in food and beverage is a, a a fierce locality and a, um, if you're going to use, uh, um, invasive species, for example, it's like, you're actually doing it to, to tame those invasive species by like, okay, let's actually like pick this, use it. But also having a focus of what is actually grown here. Like we, we have, a. A local um, Native American chef who is recreating recipes from the like he is a member of the local tribe here in I believe like the Berkeley area like with the indigenous people of this land and he's actually creating like using like chestnuts and other things that were before a lot of these species plant species were invasive species were introduced so um, where did you guys like learn how to forage? Like that's something I want to know more about. And like, um, what, can you, what can you recommend for people who want to learn about foraging and heirloom variety?
1: Yeah, I feel like foraging and heirloom varieties are, it's two broad discussions, but I totally get where you're coming from in the locality discussion. Um, I feel like it harkens back for us um, outside of the ecological standpoint. I feel like it harkens back to the fact that we could have started this business in a lot of different places besides rural Alabama. And that we chose to stay here um, with great pride um, for wh- where we are, where we're from and who we are. Um, but that also entailed a deeper look at what surrounds us um You know, we say that we are. um, You know, our one of our core tenants is community, and we say it's uh, community. Yes, both human, but also microbially. So it's a it's a whole picture look at who we are and where we're from. And I think that foraging was just an extension of that perspective. And the literal answer, not the philosophical one. Where did we? I learned to forage where do you learn to forage?
2: Well, you know, so we were farming, we started out as a farm and we were both farming and fermenting at one point in our history. And it, uh, we started this business with $800, which I would not recommend ever to anyone again, but because of that and like our ties to agriculture, um, and being scrappy entrepreneurs with little capital, like uh, all of those things sort of came together. And I think developed a foraging practice for myself, like wanting to do it as a way to like maximize abundance in our fermentation practice, utilizing what's around us, not having to like invest a lot of money into it to return a profit and then also exploring like the flavor components. And so I think being close to the earth by farming just like sort of lended itself uh to all of those things and um yeah and so I think you know I would recommend if someone wants to start foraging I think if you just start picking start like pick a plant or two that you've heard of and that you're interested in and just like start noticing where it grows like you know try harvesting it from a clean source eating it once you have a proper ident on it and just like developing a relationship. And I feel like it's one of those things that's like a snowball effect. It like feels like intangible to develop a repertoire around foraging. But if you just start and slowly start building those relationships with plants, I feel like it, it just starts to snowball and it becomes easier um, to identify where things grow. And, you know, we're very good. Uh, us humans are very good at patterns and finding patterns and and replicating them, and I feel like that applies to foraging. Um,
1: it's probably because of foraging,
2: yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <true>. because, Like,
0: <laughs>
1: but I mean, to to evolutionarily, look, what's that? Evolutionarily, yeah, it's straight up,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think I think it's interesting because um, they're just like homies at some point, you know. Like you, there's people. Th- may have a conception well without a a conception of plants and where they grow it seems like a big mumble jumble right but in fact there's actually patterns there is secessions there's like certain way plants grow in certain uh uh secessions so you know when you uh, we always talk about and microbially too we always talk about if you have a mode pasture and you're to stop mowing it what happens is they're the things that first grow and they grow quickest so in our 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 home it's like tulip poplar and like pine trees come up very quickly and only later down the line do a lot of the harder woods come up so to relate it to fermentation when you start your beer and it's a mixed culture. Let's, let's say it's like literally, like for real, a spontaneous beer. Um, there's certain ways that microbes uh, uh, secession themselves out, right? And we can start to understand patterns in that way.
0: Did you happen to see um, Michael Pollan's Netflix version of his book, Cooked?
1: Yes. And he talks yeah. with
0: the in the, the episode about fermentation and with cheese. They they go in and they look at like cheese and then they zoom out and they show forest or they show like a a meadow. And then they literally talk about the same thing where they're saying like the the first thing that grows up is this and then it dies off and it leaves, uh, basically it sets the table for the next thing because that is the food source for the next, you know. Or if you're looking at like uh, brewing books, specifically covering lambic, and spontaneous fermentation is there's a bunch of bell curves that follow each other. They're staggered bell curves because once this, this comes up like this microbe comes up, it, it puts out all these precursors. It's it up X amount of oxygen. It leaves this amount of acidity. And that sets the, the perfect environment for the next one behind it as those cells are dying off. And yeah, it's just and, not that different. Like yeah, it's- if, if you see, and then around 18 months, so with like Lambic, around 18 months it all kind of plateaus and so I can imagine that when you go to like forage and you're looking at like a young you know uh an area like in the foothills it's just you know that it's like you can look at it and know that it's pretty young versus go to an old growth forest and you kind of know what to look for
1: totally that's exactly it and I think that's just really poetic it's very nice and there's you don't go hunt ramps in a clear cut you know it's
2: I will say too, I had forgotten that Michael Pollan sort of used that analogy in the, in the show. Um, but we've also been using that analogy uh, for five or six years now. And when I saw him talk about it, I was like, oh, like I felt like really smart for a second. Yeah, we're so <laughs> like validated. Really validated. Yeah,
0: validated. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, besides all, I mean, obviously, Harvest Roots is your guys' main hustle. Uh, and I know that Pete, we're going to talk about um, your homebrewing and, and both of your guys' many hobbies. I have a whole section about all your hobbies
1: and how you have too many hobbies. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll actually, yeah, I'll, I'll let you, I, I'll have something to say when you ask me about homebrewing, though. Okay, we're going to get into that. Uh, but
0: Lindsay, you're also a doula.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Can
0: you, ta- yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm projecting this out. But you guys have always come across as super warm people that are just very, um, your approach to food, your approach to fermentation is like, is like a nourishing aspect. And I feel like that translates with, with your, your also being a doula. Like you, you're looking to like, it's like taking care of, your, of another person. like You can do that via food or you can do that via attention and like care. That's super
2: kind of you. (laughs) That's very sweet. Yeah, uh, so I, um, when we were farming, I got super interested in uh, birth work and just like uh, female reproductive health. And I did a doula training here in Birmingham with this cool nonprofit that basically they provide free doula training and in exchange, once you complete the training you provide free doula services um for low-income women in the community and so i completed the training and completed uh all of like the 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 births um to sort of pay for my training and um that i've attended eight births um total but i'm no longer practicing right now um just because Harvest Roots is my main focus, but I will say that that work taught me so much, and um, I think a lot of the lessons that I learned in being present at birth are applicable to all aspects of life, like just deep listening and what empathy actually means. Like, I thought empathy was apologizing but it's actually not apologizing it's the opposite of that it's just being present with someone's experience and not necessarily jumping to fix that for them and anyways I think those are great life skills and I hope one day I can return to that work um actually the last birth that I attended uh was for a friend and we were setting up to vend for uh, a film festival, and it was like a really big event for us, and my client went into labor, and I was like, I have to go Pete, like, sorry, <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, and so that was the last birth I did, and I was like, I just need to focus on Harvest Roots. It's not uh, fair to my business partner and life partner, and like, also not fair to like any potential clients, you know, at this
3: time, so.
0: Yeah, It's really cool. Do you, I've noticed with, um, at least with Pete, who's a little more active on social media, that you guys, I I get, but I I feel like you guys are probably both in the same boat, that supporting people's creative endeavors, and that's where I, when when I say that I feel like you guys come across as like, kind of genuine, caring people, it's because I see support. even if it's just via social media, so like we have never met in person but but Pete and I have had a lot of conversations in private, and even and you know through that i've I've learned more about you, Lindsay, and like I, it seems like you guys are really um, good at like uh, helping support people's creative endeavors. Is that something that you guys learned through, like you said, you know, being a doula, is that something that is like, is that something you have to like consci- uh, be conscious of in like practice? Is that a, is it a practice? Or do you feel like that is just like kind of led you guys down this path of like creativity of your own, whether it's the hobbies we're going to get into <laughs> or, <Yeah. laughs> or creating, you know, um, harvest roots.
2: I feel like it's both a practice and I, think also inherent in us as individuals, if that makes sense. Like I think starting your own business, you realize how hard it is and how important it is to like support those in your entrepreneurial like ecosystem because you know what they're going through. Um, But I also think it's a practice too because there are moments where I feel um, like the business sort of takes all of my focus and I'm not trying to be selfish, but I feel sort of insular and selfish in that act. And I have to sort of remind myself to sort of step out and remember
3: to support those around me. And and to look, what would you, what would you add to that? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I just think, I I think of um, community, um, I think a community like soil, i also I also think that we wouldn't be much of anywhere without the kind of support that we've gotten. So like it's also just a you know, if you harvest a plant uh, from the garden and you harvest its fruits, like you need to put compost, or you need to like return nutrients into that system. And, um, that's just what, what, what we believe in.
0: Well, I can tell you that when I'm, when I was at, um, antidote after carnival last year, I don't remember if you were, I was, I don't know if you remember that I was texting you and I was, and I had commented about you in front of like all the post carnival Britannomyces people who had left Amsterdam and gone to Belgium. We were at the farm and, Everybody, including Tom from Antidote, was saying that they wished that you, that you guys both were there because you guys have always been so positive um, with other people in the, I guess you could say, mixed culture uh, community. So it, it shows. I want you guys to know that. I feel it,
3: like the mixed culture community is much more supportive of each other than, say, just the beer industry.
0: The, or the general the beer, beer industry, industry. yeah.
2: We all love microbes, I guess, right? And in communities and like, and... uh, It's hard to not
1: get heady about it though. It's hard and it's, you can't, you're not going to make good mixed culture fermentations if you aren't (laughs) philosophical and like, if, if you aren't more open about, and about art, about like, about the sort of, you know, the um the magic quality you know that we talk about like that's where i came to the beer community and what i see the beer community as is what you're saying like well excuse me what i heard when you originally said mixed culture community was that that includes coffee that includes cheese that includes yogurt and i i i we don't have much interest in you know, definitions between these things. It's just different. It's techniques applied to a medium. And once you understand those techniques and you embrace, um, I think something that's missing from a lot of beer um, is um, embracing what you don't know. And I think that m- my favorite brewers and fermenters in general are the people who, it's almost like you know just enough. You, It's almost like you you know, where does, you know, when I'm writing a f- fucking poem, like, where does the, where do the words come from, you know? And that's, that's interesting to me.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think what you're saying is like, you can, you can study, uh, like, uh, whatever your, whatever your, um, area of expertise is but at some point you're just getting back to like now you have like almost that muscle memory like if you have a concept that you want to execute you have enough um theory and knowledge just enough to say like okay now I can tackle that but theory and knowledge can only get you so far execution and um and risk and all those things that are a little bit a little more a little bit beyond that is what actually it takes to like achieve, achieve like a complete, uh, you know, project or product.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I definitely am not a staunch, like fuck science kind of thing. I've evolved out of that. I admit. Um, and by fuck science, I mean like in terms of fermentation and like embracing knowing what Brett strain is present in your fucking goose, like I don't, or your, Goose inspired beer or, you know, whatever. I am I, I, um, I think that's really important and it's been something that I've learned over time and it's helped us make a better product in our own, um, uh, fermentations. Um, and yeah, I feel like there, I, my I'm still learning and developing through those feelings like all the time.
0: Um, so let's talk about some of your other fermentations. You do have some homebrew. You were starting a project called Nest. And you said that I, you know, I'm calling it homebrew, but it sounds like maybe it could potentially be something down the line, another, another commercial project you think, or do you think it will keep it as homebrew?
1: Um, you know, (laughs) um, I think you know, bar any pandemic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm not interested in brewing beer. Um, I had to come to terms with that. Um, At this time, I'm just not. I'm really interested in, like, the ready-made. Like, I know that's such a cliche, um, but I like things coming to me in a a set way. Like, um, for instance, I was thinking about this recently because we are doing a project with this with who we uh, call our art director for our new tap room and production space uh, Doug Belos and we um, went to like rural Alabama junk stores and are junking all of our plates and bowls and wares for the tap room and the important thing to articulate though is that it's not like arbitrary just bs these are like coordinated decisions these are aesthetic decisions. There's nothing about junking that says that it can't be um, conscious or uh, nuanced. You know, there's it, it, to find what's already there and um, call that foraging, call that spontaneous fermentation, this idea of what's already there. Um, you know, so we, it's not finding 50 plates and there's 50 different ones. Like we're finding like 25 to 30 specific plates and bowls that have a specific weight and the, the relationship between what plates and beer <laughs> and wanting to be a blendery. I think I just was trying to illustrate. I like things coming in. I also believe that brewing beer is different than blending so much so that you should focus on what you're good at and I know it looks like I have a lot of hobbies and I have, but over the past couple of years, I've become a big believer. Lens has not had this issue, but as an Aquarius uh, with the Capricorn cusp sitch, I've really had to struggle with having too many hobbies. And I, you know, so.
2: (laughs) So you're trying to work with your community to like, someone else is brewing the beer for you and right. you want to focus your efforts on...
1: I want to focus my efforts on the agriculture, the foraging, yeah. the expressions of, you know, um, um, you know, the best painting I ever made was on a thrift store canvas. And yeah. <laughs> I, I tried everything else, but the best painting I ever made was on that canvas from some, a guy gave it to me out of like a thrift store.
0: So Nest has been, I mean, so originally let's, you know, to give people context, um, we were, all four of us were supposed to go to Carnival Britannomyces this year in Amsterdam. Before this pandemic hit, we had all basically Um, come to terms with the fact that financially that wasn't going to be super viable. Um, But originally, you know, I was still organizing the homebrew market from, from here. And um, Nest, your homebrew project was lined up originally to be part of that. Um, And in, and in talking with you about it, it, my understanding is that you're working with breweries that are, creating wort, whether you are working with them on the rec- base recipe or not, but you are taking some of that wort home for now, home, and working on that and you're, and you're managing fermentation, you're managing secondary uh, additions, whether they're fruit, herbal, etc., cetera, bl- and then blending. Do you think that Nest would, would be something that is a uh, commercial operation down the line? Or do you want to keep that as homebrew?
1: No, yeah, I'm. I have. We have a really funny habit of like we were making pizza last night, and I was like tense because it sucked, and I was like, in the, I'm in this headspace where I'm just like, this is not marketable. Like we cannot send this out into the world. And Linz was like, Yo, dude, we're making pizza at home. Like take a chill pill. And um, so in regards a endeavor. <laughs> what's that
3: not everything is a business endeavor so i think that's like
1: i'm the worst capitalist ever it (laughs) sucks it's like um learning that
2: not every hobby has to be a business
1: but that's banjo for me though so scratch that off your list (laughs) yeah okay
0: i'm replacing banjo off the uh, hobby list yeah
2: but i do think like i feel like you know, I think we also want to explore alcohol at kombucha, but I think that I'll speak for Pete and say that I think there is a vision in the distant future for an alcohol based project that is outside of Harvest Roots, but brings in a lot of our core values um, in, in, uh, in, in an alcohol format. So,
1: yeah, the future project would be um, a restaurant with a barrel program. So, like a microbe forward restaurant, like fermented foods. But I mean, I'll just push back. Like, there's, it's the same microbes in this kombucha that are in my alcohol. And it's just not that different to me anymore. Like, you know, did I, I won't make a, never mind. I won't say that out loud. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was going to make like a, a drug reference, but I didn't. Um, right. But yeah, um, well, so, you know, nest, no one will be offended. <laughs> <laughs> um um yeah nest is something that we would love to bring into the fold i mean i'm talking like no more than three or four hundred barrels a year for a fucking pizza restaurant like kind of thing um but right now it's very much um a tiny little project and um um nest yeah nest is about alabama ecology um doggedly like about like stubbornly uh principled which i've had to learn how to have a relationship with that sort of uh with with where principles have to bend and be malleable in business and um i like the idea of a place of no compromise and uh if you close you close I like i think that's a that's not what we do with harvest roots but i, I want to uh engage in that some in some point in life
0: what can you tell us about biscuit church
1: <laughs> um um so i make biscuits on sunday morning for lynn so she stays with me <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's hanging on a
1: thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um Biscuit Church is um I used to I had this uh this art project a long time ago called uh uh Pete's Bible Company and I made bibles out of like blocks of wood and it was like a a fictional like thing where you know it was about a family from rural Alabama who made bibles um like handmade oak bibles <laughs> and um yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, there, a lot of what we do, a lot of, I'll just be for myself, but a lot of what I do is a coping mechanism for where I've come from and re- trying to relate that to who I am and like work on how much tension there is between the two. And I think, you know, Biscuit Church is um, a person who, um i'm familiar with who talks like that who writes like that who um is a a deep believer in god you know the only person biscuit church follows is jesus on instagram and yeah it's a coping mechanism but that's totally like fun and silly i don't take that seriously but i do take biscuits pretty seriously um the only reason i started doing biscuits in contrast to like bread and pizza dough which i personally have swore off never doing like i'll never do that the only reason i make biscuits is because i've made them for a long time and my mom used to make them on sunday morning so i would go to church and um there's a nostalgia there's something in me that can not have to work too hard to bring that kind of like delicious food into our lives. It's not a stretch. I have hobbies where I have to work too hard and I'm done with those hobbies. Like I'm done with that.
0: So can you really quickly explain why nobody's making biscuits during this pandemic? And everyone's making, well, besides us, why are most people
1: doing sourdough? So I think um, sourdough, I think no one's making, okay, so we're in the midst of a pandemic where everyone's like sharing their exciting sourdough projects, which is awesome. But I just felt like no one was making biscuits. And I think people weren't making biscuits because biscuits, biscuits are hard as shit to make. And everyone's like, they're easy, they're easy. It's like, well, then I have a lot of words that want to come out of my mouth right now. But like, I I just think that's a disservice. I think what is easy? Like if you, you resign, you've resigned, if you think something's easy, then you aren't there to push your yourself or the technique, and biscuits aren't easy like that's that's I not
3: th- i biscuits aren't easy, but neither's proper sourdough bread no. oh god no <laughs> proper the, some of the loaves i'm seeing are a little um
0: so let's, Is they're interesting. Um, let's give it some context. Tamra graduated from the Culinary Institute of America in St. Helena, north in Napa Valley. And she's a professional trained baker, worked in the industry, and we couldn't find flour and yeast and other things at I our grocery store. We still can't
3: find whole wheat flour.
0: Yeah. So
3: I had to fight. And to now we're watching now we're
0: seeing all these social media posts of people baking and their loaves don't look good, and she's I just want to make good bread, and I can't because everyone's making crap bread. She won't admit it, but that's what it is. I'm a
3: little confused because I see that people aren't slashing the top of their bread so it can rise properly. I will give a shout out to our best friend Bobby. His loaves are dope. But
0: also Jamie.
3: Jamie's are great. They're coming along. Yes, Jamie and Bobby's loaves are great and they're coming along beautifully. Like they've put a lot of hard work into understanding their bread.
0: Frustrated baker here. And their
3: yeast. Like you have to understand your starter and you know, bread kind of like sour beer tells you when it's done.
2: Yeah.
3: And you have to pay attention and like understand what's happening to your loaves. But also the same with biscuits. You have to understand that, you know, you need cold butter. You need like... You can't just, like, throw things together and then. But I, I feel I like feel biscuits
0: like... is part of the whole dismissive
3: Southern p- quality yeah. of, like,
0: it's Southern, yeah, it's like, dumb, yeah. it's simple, and that's what goes back to what, what I was saying earlier is, like, you guys have taught me, like, Southern does not mean simple. It's simple in the sense of, like, Italian food is simple. You have to well use put. it's very few ingredients, and it's very high-quality ingredients, and so in that sense, it's simple, but it's, it doesn't, it's, mean, it's it, easy, it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel like as a region in the South, we spoke about this with our friend, Doug Blues, who's a really incredible artist. He was talking about how he feels like Southerners are always having to embellish and like, Add lots of extra things to their practice, be it like extra sugar or extra fat or extra salt, like because we feel like we're not worthy enough to be simple, and that whatever practice we have, you know, yeah, it's just not worthy in its simplicity. But I think in in the exploration of biscuits with our with our mentor Scott Peacock, like uh, I feel like he really challenges that notion because it's one of the most simple biscuit practices I've ever seen um and the results are phenomenal like I you know was hesitant to believe that his version of biscuit could like change my whole notion of biscuits but it did um, and it was just through simple techniques and really high quality ingredients
1: it was pretty profound yeah it was crazy. Um, we all have, it's like when you watch Geo Dreams of Sushi, you're like, how can three ingredients make you cry? Or so, you know, like, how this, this, that's why I really take offense to anyone saying anything's easy almost. You know, I don't think there's an absolute there, but like, uh, we hear, you know, it's, and I, 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 this, I brought this up in our discussion, but like, that's like the dad with their kid at MoMA, and they're like, oh, that, Oh, look at this, uh, uh, Agnes Martin painting. Like, Oh, I, my son could paint that. It's stripes of like pink and desert blues. It's like, great. Okay, cool. Like, did you think that of how long it took to distill to simplicity? You know, I don't, I think that, um, there's a dude, there's myriad of cultures and foods that re- show us like what simplicity is and how, much of a lifelong practice that is you know so we're definitely not alone in the south but it has its own distinct um context and background for sure <laughs> for sure
0: so there was a couple of other hobbies i was going to get into uh skating videography training <laughs> you, uh, I, you told me to cross off banjo So maybe we'll have to do an episode two just to cover some of these. But um, before we finish up, can you guys just tell us one more time where everyone can find Harvest Roots, and also anything you guys are promoting? You guys are doing these Instagram um, live events. Do you have any more of those coming up? Yeah, we do.
2: Yeah, we uh, have one coming up this Thursday um, at 6.30 p.m. Central um on, or maybe
1: next thursday
2: or next thursday i don't know then? it
1: depends on our email we're waiting on
2: okay so we we're uh changing up our format a little bit so our series is called don't waste it pickle it and um we are actually going to be inviting some guests to our our future uh events and
1: secret big guests secret big
2: guests and so we're waiting to hear back from this one big uh secret guest that we're really excited about and um so stay tuned for that. We we have a couple more planned, and we gotta talk about the tap room. Yeah, yeah, do that real fast. We gotta
1: it. we gotta administer some propaganda. <laughs> we gotta sprinkle it on a little bit more evenly through this yeah. podcast. I'm talking about <laughs> philosophically about like fungus and stuff. Like we gotta we're working we got on money. it over here. You need to make <laughs> some money, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I like the idea that you guys are having a k- kombucha tap room.
1: Yeah, so do you all feel like that happens in your area? Do you go to those things? Like, is no, that a... it doesn't happen here yet? We
3: don't have but, one. I mean, but I think it would bars take... incorporate it.
0: Yeah, there's people who are incorporating kombucha slowly, but I think that your guys' approach as far as also doing a lot of food, where I saw you were playing with dehydrated kimchi powder, that sounds awesome. I would love to play with that on, on even like I made a steak. I made steak tacos last night. I would Yo. totally do steak tacos with kimchi powder. It'd
1: be so good. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on.
0: So, um,
1: How can you, I yeah. mean, it's just like, it's, it's just fail. I mean, I think that Lindsay and I have just been engaging in like, so the, the premise um, for the tap room and the production space is we have a 5,000 square foot brewery and um, we have 3,500 in kombucha production. Um, bar any, unprecedented godly events that are happening as we speak but um not that we're gonna close but just if things shift but um we have a tap room that we're really excited about and you know like i brought up earlier like sean uh brock his like small even small gestures of support was just like i mean y'all we are in a 300 person town in rural alabama like you know we felt very very uh, encouraged that he would look at us and taste our product. And um, you, we, when you're a small business and you're pouring your heart out, that kind of support is really, really heavy fuel. And um, so, in the tap room, we're very excited to um, have a small plates menu. So it's a, it's a small menu, and it's five items. And the premise is that it's we don't have a hood, we don't have a grease trap, we don't need that legally. We want to do uh, probably about 70% of the cooking in fermentation in our pickling program in the back. So everything is, there's not a lot of preparation. It's very simple food. It's um, going to be very simple ingredients that are extremely well-grown. Um, whether it's from Anson Mills um, and we're getting like heirloom rice or uh, peas or beans from our friends in Alabama, it, the, the gesture is going to be um, uh, a place, you know, we really want people to to come to our space and um I I I think that um you know, I think that people are going to feel like this is the last place in the world this should be happening and it is going to happen here, you know. I think that we're we're going to be articulating something um and we have a lot of heart behind it. Um and we'll have 15 taps of kombucha for the menu as well. So um, the one cool thing is that we started our business by making like really, really gnarly kombucha, like really delicious stuff that was really like pine needle kombucha and stuff is always one we say. Like we had pine needle kombucha and autumn olive kombucha like way before we ever made a ginger kombucha. And we realized that you have to sort of do one before the other. And,
2: or even you have to, you have to expand, we, we, you have to expand your offerings to include a wider audience when you're trying to grow your business. And yeah. And so we're excited though because the tap room will give us the place to, you know, have 15 taps of kombucha and we can have the fruity guys for like people that enjoy that. And I enjoy it too, but also we can have the Black walnut, whole
1: kombucha,
2: <laughs> like or you know just like whatever.
1: <laughs> so it's gonna be a place where we get to finally explore a lot of ideas, and the food menu is super exciting to us. You know, like kombucha syrups, um, um, you know, um, just even just having toast that our sauerkrauts on. Like it's not a hard food, but it's all food that when you we want you to feel better when you leave than when you when you walked in it's in the, in that the food is nourishing like, yeah. to your point tim
0: well thank you guys for coming on we're going to i'm going to uh edit this a little bit we'll get it up in the next day or so um anybody who's interested please just check out harvest roots check out biscuit church no 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 <laughs> yeah no. come on check no. out check nest check out <laughs> Nest Homebrew.
1: <laughs> She's telling me to stop. Yeah. I want to funnel. I'm funneling right now. I, I. I this is no. what it looks like when an art student tries to market. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, frill though. Like we appreciate your time today, man. It's nice hanging out with you all. And um, Harvest Roots on Instagram is yeah, like. Thank
0: you
3: guys. I really hope we can come visit. Like, We're gonna make spring? it happen when Please. the when,
0: whether whether we fund you guys coming here or we go there
3: not in the
1: summer
0: yeah she doesn't sorry. want to go to the south in the summer sorry yeah
1: I don't but I don't that's that's that swimming season girl
0: <laughs> Moonshining, swimming <laughs> yeah.
1: end of summer maybe <laughs> that's that's all that happens here you know like that's, you're right, yeah that's so. just that's the south right i mean yeah, yeah. exactly yeah
3: it's so hot <laughs> all right yeah. thank you guys